everyone, this is Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Everything is Football. Don't go away. Hello, everyone. My name is Mark Geshwin, and welcome to another EIF podcast. I'm joined once again by Tomas Forcell. And while we're generally going to be talking about tomorrow's big Champions League final between Real Madrid and Liverpool, there have been some interesting developments in the in the managerial, I suppose, transfer market um, in the past few days, and that is the fact that Obviously, we know, finally, after years and years and years of wanting this to happen, Arsene Wenger decided to leave. So there was a big sweepstakes to fill that vacancy. And while it was, uh, it seemed like either Arteta or Allegri uh, were the favorites to end up with that job, it honestly, really out of left field, Unai Emery from PSG has taken over at Arsenal. And in another club in London, um, it appears that Conte is certainly set to leave. Um, Maurizio Sarri has left Napoli, uh, Ancelotti has taken over at Napoli, and so essentially, you know, it doesn't take a genius to to see where this is sort of heading, and that Maurizio Sarri is quite likely to be taking over as Chelsea boss. So these are two very, very interesting developments. Uh, We'll touch on both of them um, before getting into this Champions League final preview. Um, So Tomas, I'll let you go first and talk about your blues and what you think of um, Maurizio Sarri's appointment, um, sort of what you're looking forward to, what you might be a little wary of, and whether or not you think this is going to end up being a good decision. Well, before I jump into Sarri, I just want a, a quick you know, overview of Conte's time at Chelsea, uh, because I'm, I'm really split on this, Mark. You know how I feel about Conte, how I felt about him before, how I feel about him now. Uh, and I've been thinking a lot about it today because people are saying it's going to happen either today or tomorrow uh, when he's going to finally leave. And apparently we're going to have to pay him around £9 million, something around that mark, because unfortunately our board, as per usual, made a mistake, gave him a new contract after he won the league last year, which you could say was deserved, but proceeds to sack him this season, which one could also say is deserved. But because of that, we're going to have to pay a big, big uh, a fee for uh, you know for getting rid of him. I think with Conte, the thing is, you, you've argued about this, Mark. You know, two trophies in two years, that's great. I'm not denying that for a second. What he did in the first in here, getting a team that finished in 10th place, albeit that really should never have been in 10th place, but taking a team that finished 10th to win the title so, in such a commanding fashion, uh, most wins ever in his first season. Uh, of course, City beat that most wins ever record this season. Uh, revolutionizing England, uh, English football, you could say, with the three at the back. Uh, it was fantastic. And unfortunately, this season, it started going downhill. Uh, we finished with that FA Cup. Uh, in typical Chelsea fashion, you know, start off well, score a goal, and then just fall back immediately. Uh, you could say Manny were unlucky not to at least get a draw there and force it into extra time. But the league wasn't good enough. The Champions League, I said, well, we were very unlucky. I thought we outplayed Barca in both legs, and the aggregate completely, you know, covers up the fact that Barca just weren't very good and Chelsea were the better team. But like I said, Barca did deserve to go through, even though I thought Chelsea were the better team. And I don't really put that one on Conte. But I think just to end this this whole Conte talk, Conte's talk, uh, Conte's time at Chelsea will be marred by the fact that when you look at who's to blame for what went wrong this season, it's Conte and it's the board. So I blame both because we say Conte got no support from the board and didn't get his top targets. So you end up getting people like Bakayoko, like Barkley, like Drinkwater, like Morata, like... Uh, you know, Zappacosta, 
we get these guys in and people are saying, wow, you know, if Conte was in charge of that, that's shocking. I don't believe any of those are Conte's top targets, at least from what I read over the summer, from reports I heard. Those were not his top targets. They're, they probably were in his list, but definitely not at the top. And then people say, okay, well, in that case, you should really blame the board for not backing this manager who had such a great season. Problem is, this all started early summer of last year, of 2017, with that Diego Costa situation. And I'm tired of talking about the Costa situation, but all of that spiraling out of control is what led to this. He got rid of Costa, you know, cost Chelsea like 50 million, ended up getting the board angry, and that's why he got no support. Fast forward to the season, bad subs every game, uh, not letting Hazard play to his full potential, not a lot of tactical flexibility, and really we're here today uh, with a manager who should be revered for what he did, going out in uh, you know a sour way because of because of how everything turned out. But like I said, a lot has to be blamed on the board, and now moving on to Sari, I don't know how it's going to work because I'm very happy Sari's coming. I think he will play some very great football for the team. Uh, we'll finally see Chelsea playing some attractive football that we haven't really seen since uh, Ancelotti was here in that that final season. Uh, sorry, second to final season. And, uh, you know, it, it will be free-flowing. It will be much more attractive than what Conte's playing. My problem is, sorry known to be a very stubborn guy with, with a lot of things. Be it the subs. We love to talk about Conte likes to do late-game subs. Well, sorry likes to make the exact same sub every game. If you watch Napoli games, it would literally be Mertens off around the 67th minute for, uh, for your boy Milik Mark, who... You know, king of missing tap-ins. You then have every game be the same exact sub at the same exact time. And that's odd as well. And just in general, his philosophy and the way he always sticks to his guns, he's just a very stubborn guy. I don't know if that's going to work with the board. But assuming the board, bring him in and say, you know, you're going to have autonomy here. We're going to back your players and we're going to interfere as little as possible. Then I'm very hopeful that it could work out. I think Chelsea next year will be much, much better. I think Chelsea will not push for the title, not yet. It'll be a bit of a rebuilding year, but I'd be shocked if they weren't among the top four. And to end this, it seems that Mata will be gone. Uh, you know, the, the thing is, he was pictured with a Juventus director in Milan, and uh, he was also with his agent. And apparently it was said that he was out shopping and ran into the Juventus director in Milan. What are the odds, Mark? You know, how often do you run into a specific person like that in such a... Such a situation. Uh, and all I have to say to that is good riddance, uh, Morata. Absolute disgrace of a striker. You know, people love to say, you love to say this, Mark, and I'll pass it over to you in a second, but you love to say, you know, how his expected goals and all this, and he just wasn't finishing chances. Sometimes that's that's not enough. The expected goals is not enough. He has a problem with mentality. It was reviewed earlier this season, that quote he had, we both commented on it. He's just not mentally strong enough. And I think what he's doing to pushing a move is a disrespect to the club and to most fans who stood behind him. And to go out like this shows a lot about who he is as a player, as a man. And I'm really disappointed in not only how he played, because we would have finished top four if he could finish chances, but also in how he's going out. So disappointed, Morata, hopeful about the future of Sarri. And to Conte, thank you very much. But, you know, it, it was time to go. And I think it's the right time to let go of him and, and move into a new era with hopefully new football and a new brand of football that would define Chelsea for, for the coming years. Well, not surprising that when we hand Tomas a question about Maurizio Sarri, he talks about Bakayoko, Diego Costa, Morata, uh, and Conte more so than the question at hand. But if I'm going to be talking about Maurizio Sarri, um, there's a couple things that I'm interested to see. One, um, sort of like Tomas said, he sort of has a reputation for being stubborn, so how he's going to work with the board is going to be interesting because he needs tons and tons and tons and tons and tons of new players because this Chelsea team is... So, 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 so poor. 
they have, I would say, six players that they can truly count on to be, you know, good enough, I would say, like, Champions League-level caliber and Premier League title-winning caliber. Um, you know, Christensen is one of them. Uh, I think Rudiger is one of them. He showed that this season. I thought he was certainly good enough. I think the back, you know, the, the, the three that they have at the back are good enough. Uh, Rudiger, Aspilicueta, and Christensen are, are more than good enough. Um, N'Golo Conte is obviously more than good enough. Uh, Eden Hazard is obviously more than good enough. Um, and then I think, you know, you can sort of make your argument between, you know, Courtois, though, you know, he's probably slightly overrated, but I still think he's, you know, certainly sufficient to win a Premier League title as he's shown um, and, you know, showed in La Liga as well with Atletico Madrid. Um, and then I still think, um, you know, and considering like the, the lack of the sort of the lack of options out there, I think Morata is good enough moving forward that to win a Premier League title with him. Um, you know, obviously, I would try and upgrade that spot if you could. There have been room, but at the at the end of the day, there's not many real, realistic options you could go for. You know, I saw a, a rumor in the Telegraph that they want Lewandowski, but let's be honest, that would never happen. Um, potentially, Mallory Cardi, that could be one where I would say that that's probably an upgrade. But if you can't really, you know, go out there and get someone, they have bigger holes than Morata, in my opinion, and so they need to figure out players that can play with Sarri's system because as of right now, guys like Moses. Guys like Bakayoko, uh, guys like Alonzo, um, simply are just like not going to cut it. They uh, guys like William, guys like Pedro. I think he can do more with them um, than Conte could in his final season. But Sorry likes to play a very intricate brand, and he requires you know uh, sort of like quick passing movements, um, disciplined you know sort of uh, runs off the ball. And the quality of the team just isn't really there right now. And I would say, especially in the center of midfield, where they've just wasted money galore on bang average players and uh, drink water and Bakayoko. Um, so they need to sort that out. Whether that's you know bringing in a couple players from Napoli, like a, maybe like a Jorginho, who's apparently going to Manchester City. Uh, you know whether that's going out there and splashing a hundred million on a Marco Verratti or something like that. They are struggling in the midfield department, and it's it's hard to see how they would. Um, you know, be able to replicate Sarri's style, uh, you know, especially with the players who could do it. One of them who could do it was Fabregas, but obviously he's getting older, won't be able to play every single week, wasn't very particularly good this season. Um, and, you know, unless Sarri can kind of rejuvenate him a little bit, it's difficult to see where that quality in midfield is going to come from. So they have a lot do you, of problems. Do you think, sir, to, I have a question for you, Mark. Uh, a, from Napoli, do you think he'd bring Hamsik? Because that's the only guy I could actually see him bring in. I don't think he needs Koulibaly. And obviously, like you said, Jorginho probably rebound. And B, if not if not just Hamsick, do you think he brings on another controlling midfielder? What do you think he's going to do there? Because, like you said, Fabregas doesn't have the legs to to play every week. I would say that Hamsick makes a lot of sense, except for the fact that, or he would be a. It doesn't make a lot of sense as a transfer, but it makes a lot of sense, um, uh, you know, stylistically. But the fact that you know he's kind of Mister Napoli. Um, you know, at the tail end of his career, not tail end, but, you know, getting up there in age, I don't think that they would go out there and try and make that move to bring him over. Um, but I do think he's going to try and sign some sort of controlling midfielder and who that is. I really don't know. I mean, Chelsea tend to make signings kind of a bit out of left field. Um, you, you know, not, there hasn't been tons and tons of rumors about, you know, they, they, they tend to kind of be linked with everyone. So it's hard to really pinpoint who they particularly want. But I mean, a guy like Verratti, a guy like Thiago has been apparently been made available. 
why not go for someone like that? You know, you they have the funds. Obviously, the new Nike deal is going to kick in, so go for something like that. But it, it's difficult to see um, what exactly Sarri is going to do because he needs to improve a lot of this team. Um, and as we've seen with the Chelsea board in the past, that they're not uh, super open to the demands of managers. So I'm sure Sarri will lay out some targets. Will he get them all? Uh, doubtful. But we'll see what happens. I think at the end of the day, Sarri's team will certainly play better, um, and he'll improve the one man who I've been dying to see under an attacking coach for years and years and years and years, and that's Hazard. Uh, he, this is a man who's been forced to play under Mourinho uh, and Conte uh, and Di Matteo for his for his entire tenure. And Benitez. And, and Benitez for his entire tenure um, at Chelsea, which is just blasphemy for a player like Hazard. He, I think he'll this will finally sort of um, let him express himself fully. Um, he'll be able to do, you know, perform a similar role to the one that Insigne did at Napoli. Um, and I think he is just delighted with this. And I've been saying that, you know, he should leave, um, over and over and over, especially given how, how they continue to have these defensive coaches. But if Sarri comes in and then make a few more signings, then maybe you can understand him wanting to stay because he loves the club and he'll actually be able to play some decent football. Um, so we'll see what happens, but I'm excited. That's the, probably the main thing I'm looking forward to under Sarri is seeing what Hazard can do under a truly attacking coach. So that, you know, there, there are certainly some question marks, um, but those things are the, you know, sort of the things that I'm sort of most interested to see moving forward uh, at Chelsea. So we'll move on to Arsenal now, um, where Unai Emery has come in. Again, really, really out of left field because we thought for sure it was going to be either one of Arteta or Allegri. And I'll start before you get into it, and I'll just say that I don't, understand really what they're going for um unless they sort of believe that you know what they're kind of being like they're almost taking a more realistic approach here and they're saying that hey we're not really a top club our level is more like Sevilla um and so we're going to take a guy who's shown to have success at a smaller club um with lesser players with a lesser budget um and took a team like Sevilla to three straight Europa League titles which is certainly a very very impressive feat I mean he beat Liverpool uh he beat Klopp's Liverpool in one of those finals um, did a lot of good things at Sevilla and went to PSG and quite, you know, d- just d- really, it's a, it was a difficult, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about this with a little nuanced look because it was a difficult situation and I would 100% argue that he failed because, you know, at at PSG, the, the, the minimum expectation is that you kind of win two out of three domestic cups, you know, you win, uh, sorry, one out of two domestic cups and then you win your league. Um, and so, you know, he managed to win the domestic treble in his second season, but in his first season, you know, he lost to the to Jardim's baby-faced Monaco side, who, while certainly had some impressive players, I mean, the differences in uh, sort of like squad depth and general overall quality, I would say, um, certainly favored PSG, and you would think that he would have been able to, you know, sort of, sort of put up more of a fight than he did. Um, and then in his second season, you know, again, struggling in the Champions League, um, you know, didn't do, obviously he had the Barcelona collapse and stuff like that. But, you know, I, I would, the only thing I would say is that when you, when you have a team that has like Neymar and Mbappe and all these guys, the tactics are difficult to sort of get right because you're kind of forced to play all these guys. Um, you're, he was forced to play Neymar, Cavani and Mbappe, which makes it difficult to be kind of creative. And I feel like that's, he sort of fell into the same type of type of trap um, that Luis Enrique did at Barcelona when, you know, he sort of didn't really know how to be sort of tactically creative with Messi, Suarez, and Neymar when he really had to be. Um, and so I think that that's what I would blame him for the most. But I think that, you know, he showed that he did really good stuff at Sevilla. He did good stuff at Valencia. Um, 
And I think that if you if Arsenal can kind of overlook what he did at PSG in the sense that you know maybe he didn't really have true um, you know he didn't have free reign to do what he wanted tactically, then maybe they can overlook his failures there and and, and sort of uh, justify his hiring in that way. But having said that, before I get to you, it's, it wouldn't have been my choice. I probably would have gone with someone like a um, like a Jardim. Um, potentially a Jardim who's done quite well in Monaco. Uh, I definitely would have gone with Thomas Tuchel would have been my first choice for sure. But I mean, going to, you're not you're not going to prime away from PSG. Um, and then I would have been interested to see Arteta. Obviously, he hasn't had you know any experience, but I'm always interested to to see sort of uh, the younger guys get a chance, especially one who's um, you know been been tutored by Pep. So I thought that would have been an interesting choice. Um, so we'll see what happens going forward, and I'll let, let you get into this. But as of right now, it's definitely a, an odd an odd pick, but one that could. It could turn out better than people are expecting right now. I'm with you on this, Mark, but I'm a little bit more hardline uh, when it comes to Mary. I had that tweet that we put out saying something along the lines of a shocking uh, pick. Uh, regardless of the circumstances, it's not so much that Mary's not a great manager. He's not a great manager. He's a good manager. But with all the choices they had, all the options available, that's where I think offense should be and probably are a bit disappointed because you look at sorry okay probably go to Chelsea but it's not closed that would have been a great choice you have Jardine you have um what else you have you had Carlo before he was announced for Napoli you could say oh, choice still a better choice than a Mary in my opinion you have so many you have Setien you have Arteta like you said for me Arteta would have been the good pick uh, and the best pick because a lot of people were on Twitter were saying oh how can you say Arteta would have been a better pick than then Mary, Mary's three Europa Leagues. He was great at Valencia. He was okay with PSG. And Arteta's never managed a team, and he's so young, and this and that. Well, the thing is, Arteta knows the club very well. First of all, you know, as a guy who Arsenal fans respect, really like, and really knows the very well. Two, he's been with Pep now for two years, a little over two years, learning from Pep. Are you telling me that someone who's with Pep every single day for for that long? does not have the tactical competency uh, to, to lead a team, to play the football that you expect from a pep team, I, I think it's ludicrous to say that, that Arteta would come in and be a bit naive tactically uh, and leading a team. Because being around pep for one week is already probably a crazy amount of knowledge that you gain from that. So imagine being with him for two, two and a half years every single day, uh, including offseason, uh, including the summer. Because really, if, you, if you've read the books about pep by uh, Martin Perra now, pep does not stop. For a second, that man does not stop thinking about football. Be it 3 a.m., be it you know midsummer, he's going to be thinking about something new in his uh, in his team. And I'm sure Arteta felt all of that, and he would have been a great pick. And the third reason for Arteta is the fact that you're ushering in a new era at the Emirates, and and you want to bring a manager who you think is the guy who could lead that team for the long term. Kind of like Wenger, who came in '97, came from Japan. A lot of people were a bit skeptical, but it ended up marking a new era. Uh, for Arsenal, and really, it could have been a new era now. I think by picking Mary, it's almost like what happened after Sir Alex uh, United with with Moyes. They went for the new era look. It was the wrong new era, and what happened was you're still kind of you, you still haven't moved on fully because Mourinho. It's not about Mourinho, but Mourinho hasn't really brought in the new era that you that so many people expected. And when I look at a Mary, if we talk about PSG, a lot of people replied to me. Some big PSG accounts said. Yo, you're being a little harsh. Yeah, he wasn't that bad. Well, for me, he was awful at PSG. I'm sorry. But first year, a lot of people are overlooking that. 
first year, like you said, was horrendous. Like by any stretch of the imagination, there's no positives from that first year, in my opinion. You lost the league to, yeah, a good Monaco team, good young Monaco team with Mbappe playing some incredible football for the second half of the season that, that he really came on. Uh, but you should have never lost the league to that team. Should have never lost it. Lost the Champions League in a ridiculous fashion and one of the biggest collapses of all time. And sure, you can blame the players for a lot of it, and you should. But to say the manager's not at fault, it's crazy. I saw some guy said, oh, it's only it's 10% of Mary's fault. Well, first of all, how, where, where do you get that number? You know, I, would, I would love to know where you got 10% from. What's, the, what's 90%? Uh, and, and second, it is. You know, the manager has to take responsibility for something like that. He was very naive in that game. Should have finished things up immediately when things started going wrong. Let it play out. And you say, oh, it's just one game. Well, it's a game that marks a lot because that really was the end of their season. And when you combine that with the failure domestically, that was a horrendous season. Then you move on to the second year and people say, oh, he was a little better. You know, he won the domestic treble. Sure. You're expected to do that if you're PSG with that team and that league. So I don't think winning the domestic trouble is anything but an obligation for PSG. They did not win the domestic trouble, by the way, Mark, playing great football. They played good football. Some PSG games were very entertaining to watch. But it's not like PSG were out there charming world football, like like Pes, uh, City, you know, like other teams, like Saris Napoli. No, they, they happen to play good football because they have good attacking players who really were limited by Mary. And I blame a lot of what happened. Like I said, Conte with the text message to Costa. I think America had just as bad a mistake with the whole penalty situation. Me and you talked about this when it happened. He should have sat down. First of all, even in, when we played together in high school, Mark, you know, first, first day of preseason, the manager comes over and says, you're the penalty taker, you're the free kick taker, you're the corner taker, done. You know, everyone has their roles. Didn't happen in preseason somehow. So then it happens that first time in the game, everyone starts talking about it, and he could have resolved it then. Fair enough, he didn't do it during preseason. Slight mistake, sure. Resolve it then. Didn't resolve it. Almost had to do figure it out. And it dragged on and got worse and worse. Pissed off Cavani. Pissed off Neymar before Neymar eventually took the duties. But I'm sure Neymar wasn't thrilled. Pissed off the team because of how it was handled. So overall, that was just really, really poorly handled. And, and just set this negative vibe around PSG when really it should have been great going into the season where you have Neymar, you have Mbappe, you have Cavani. Well, yeah, but that's where I'm going to cut you off a little bit because I think that I don't, I don't see how the penalty issue really relates to the Arsenal situation. And this is what I've been trying to tell you about this hire is that man, we, we, we talk about this all the time. Management, it, it, it's one of the hardest things to assess in the world because it there are so many different um, skills and so many different um, variables that you have to consider when managing. Managing Real Madrid is nothing like managing like Shrewsbury. Managing PSG is nothing like managing Arsenal. And I think that, you know, a situation where Unai Emery is basically at the mercy of his star players is not going to happen at Arsenal. He can, he actually will have control of the team tactically, and he'll be able to do what he wants to do. And it's what I've been saying about Luis Enrique for the longest time, is that it's very difficult to assess how good of a coach he is, because his team was so good that a, he didn't have to do a whole lot. Um, he just kind of had to motivate them and you know make sure that he put them in the right positions and stuff like that um, and make a few decisions here and there. Um, but it, it's difficult to know how good he is until he gets away from that and you know really st starts to forage his own um, forge his own sort of path with different teams. And I think that's similar with Emery that you know maybe he's not cut out to manage one of the big teams because when you have to manage one of the big teams, the main job there is essentially managing the egos. I mean, look at Zidane at Real Madrid. 
he essentially, you know, he's not some brilliant tactician, although he's, I think he's a little bit better than people give him credit for, although at the same time, sometimes his teams are just all over the place, like we saw in the numerous times throughout the season. I mean, just watch La Liga almost every single week. I mean, they're, they're a mess tactically, and given the players they have, I mean, it's almost ridiculous to, to, to see how, you know, how sort of unorganized they are. But his main job there and why he's been so successful is that he's, um, you know, quite good at managing everyone. I mean, look at Ronaldo. He, he, he's completely turned Ronaldo into this guy who plays only to his strengths because he's listening to Zidane. He's saying, you know, don't drift so far wide, you know, stay in the box, time your runs, and also, I'm not going to play you every single week. And I mean, look at the amount of games he's played. I mean, he, he rests before every single Champions League game. And you know, this was a Ronaldo who back in the day was so obsessed with goal scoring and so obsessed with breaking records that he wanted to play in every single game, 90 minutes, playing in the Copa del Rey, playing in, you know, easy La Liga fixtures because he wanted to, you know, put up 50, 60, 70 goals a season. Um, and Zidane basically came in and was able to convince him that no, this is not the right thing. But would Zidane necessarily be a good fit at someone like Celta Vigo, where he would have to be, you know, very, very good tactically? Like, I don't really know. But so like, well, well, like so the, I'm just saying it's like there's a different there's different aspects to it, and I think that basically pinning Emery's entire managerial career on his stint at PSG, and essentially being like Arsenal shouldn't have hired him still solely because of what he did at PSG is ridiculous. Well, to to jump in now, Mark, I think that beyond the penalty situation, what what the penalty situation showed for me, it's not so much that he can't handle big egos, which he clearly can't. It's the fact that his man management skills are not there. And you could say maybe it's just for star players like the likes of Neymar. But, but, the issue of Arsenal for over 10 years now, since, you know, they last won a major title other than the FA Cup since 2004, has been the fact that they're weak mentally. You could say a lot of years when they start out and they're looking great until December and then they collapse in the second half every time, it, it's always been a mental issue. And Mary is not that guy who's going to – he's not Jurgen Klopp. He's not going to come into this team like Klopp did of Liverpool, who you could say suffered from similar stuff to an even bigger extent in, in that Brendan Rodgers season when, when they really collapsed and, and blew the title and, and changed things around like Klopp did. He's not going to instill this mentality. Look at Mary, and you look at his track record. He's not this guy who's going to come in at this incredible passion to the club and get everyone behind him. He's not. And I think beyond just the man management uh, aspect, you talk about, oh, maybe he's more suited for smaller clubs, the likes of Sevilla, and you can see Arsenal, what they're now, is a lot of what he did at PSG wasn't just about not being able to handle Eagles. It was also poor, just tactical decisions. You look at Mbappe, and we say all the time how he's, this season with Mbappe, reminds me of that first season Neymar ahead of Martino uh, at Barca, where he's just been limited by a manager who didn't know where to play him. Why are you playing Mbappe, one of the greatest talents we've ever seen, I think both of us can agree, out wide the, the whole season? Why could you not, how, how in the world were you not able to accommodate him and Cavani up top with Neymar floating in behind? I don't understand how, how he wasn't able to do that. So for me, exactly, very naive, team selection at times, very poor as well, right before that PSG-Real Madrid game, dropping uh, dropping Thiago Silva out of the blue for no reason. I mean, it was it was literally a last-second thing that, why are you doing that for with your captain before the biggest game ever for your team? Makes zero sense. Playing Lo Celso was a disaster. So for me, a lot of the PSG stuff, it's not just about the Eagles. It's about... Just simple, basic things that I think he got majorly wrong. And yes, I'm not letting that define his career. But when we look at Arsenal and their future, like I said, one, the mentality has been a problem for over 10 years now. I don't think he's that guy to change that. He is not 
Jurgen Klopp. And when I say Klopp, I mean there are many other managers, of course, but he's not one of those guys that's going to come in and change uh, players' mentalities. Two, he's going to be working for a very small budget. People are saying that Arsenal have $50 million. So a lot of people might say, oh, you know, Amiri has always been great at bringing in players uh, under a limited budget. With Sevilla, with Valencia. Um, how much of that is down to Amiri? We don't know. So to be fair, this could a lot of that could be down to the director of football at Sevilla, for instance, bringing in these guys. And we don't know if Amiri really had much of a say in that. So at the end of the day, it could be that Amiri really isn't that great at recruiting. He could be. He could not be. But nobody knows for sure. So for people to say, oh, at least we know he's going to bring in great you know, players for good value, we don't know that. Nobody can really make that statement. I think Arsenal, to end this, Mark, are a small team right now. Not a small team, obviously, but not a, not a big, big team right now. Sure. But at the end of the day, I told you this. They are a small team and a big team at the same time. Because even though they're not as big a club as they have been or you know they should be, they still have a big club mentality to a certain extent. So for me, the, uh, people saying, oh, he's going to manage this like it was Sevilla, like it was Valencia. They're, st- they're a bigger club than them. They are. They just are. I don't care where they are at the table. I don't care that they haven't won for 10 years. They are a bigger club. You know, so expectations are high to a certain extent. And Arsenal fans will be expecting at least top four. And right now, Mark, do you think he's going to get top four? I think there's zero chance. I'll go on record right now. There is a zero chance Arsenal get a top four under a Mary the first season. Special for limited budget. I don't know what he's going to do. I don't know who he's going to bring in. They need a lot of pieces. Yeah, the future's bright when you look at some like Obama having a first full season there. But it's simply not good enough. He's simply not good enough for a team like that. I'm not letting PSG define him. But it does say a lot about the man. And it says more about the fact that Arsenal had so many different choices. And they, they were wrong with Wenger for so many years where they should have gotten rid of Wenger. He didn't step down. They had, had so many chances to move on. They didn't. They finally do it this summer. And they bring in the wrong choice. It's not like there were limited choices. They had so, so, so many choices. And they brought a Mary in. I, I have many very good friends who are Arsenal fans. And they are very upset. They are hopeful that American maybe surprises. But... When you just look at the choices, it's disappointing. And unfortunately, Amiri's not that guy. I don't think he's that guy. And like I said, Mark, I'll go on record right now. There's zero chance he finishes top four. And I wouldn't be surprised to see him gone after a year or two, depending on the patience of the board. I mean, I just think that, again, it's, it comes back to, to my, my point that management of certain clubs is a very different skill. Um, you know, like I said, PSG and Arsenal are not comparable. The the roles they have to do are not comparable. And I agree. I don't. I don't think he would have been my first choice. Um, I think that a lot of us sort of have this, the the almost like the recency biases in our head that we're basically assessing him solely from his time at PSG. Because I think that if, if for instance, if in um, right before the 2015, uh, before the 2015, 2016, 2017 season, if they had fired Arsene Wenger and hired Unai Emery before PSG did, I think that this would be looked upon in a much, much different light. Um, I think that if that if that had happened then, you know, fresh off Unai Emery coming off of three straight Europa League titles, I mean, there's a reason why he got the PSG job. Um, if he was coming off the back of three straight Europa League titles and then Arsenal hired him, I think everyone would have been saying, you know, great move, get rid of Wenger, bring him this new coach who's, you know, shown he can win titles. Um, you know, you're huge on winning titles. He showed he could win titles with a very, very, you know, with a, with a small club and a small budget. And he did it three consecutive times in a, in a difficult competition, beating good teams. Um, and I think it would be looked upon in a much different light. Again, I'm not saying that he would have been necessarily my choice. Um, 
but I think that he deserves a shot to show what he can what he can do at a you know at a slightly bigger club um, than Sevilla and Valencia, um, and one you know maybe that can kind of get his career back on track at PSG because clearly he's a very smart guy because clearly he was able to convince the board that you know he was the right man for the job and you know there was reports that his presentation was really really good and in depth and you know he had studied the squad and he knew the ins and outs and he knew how he was going to improve everyone and his plan is you know to center the team around Aubameyang and Ramsey which makes perfect sense the two best players. So I think there are things here that you can, you know, again, you can justify the move and you can, I think that he, you know, it shouldn't be um, entirely pinned on his PSG career and, you know, realize that there are reasons why, A, he was first hired by PSG in the first place to be the man to sort of lead their their big project and now B, why he's been chosen as the man to replace Arsene Wenger. So I think he's better than you and a lot of people are giving him credit for. But again, I, I, you know, I'm not trying to necessarily vouch for this move as it being the very, very best one, but I don't think it's not, I don't think it's nearly as bad as people are making it out to be. And in the end, who really knows? Will they, will they finish top happens. four? No, I, I don't think so at all. I mean, just based on squad strength, I, I think managers can have an impact, but I think squad strength at the end of the day is the biggest thing. So, I mean, right now with the give with the, the, with the, with the way their squad is, um, set up, I don't think so. But I mean, if they make some good signings, whatever that might be, if they surprise us in the market, then who really knows? I think the market, you know, it's impossible to say um, right now, given the transfer market, which is the most important part of the of the season, really. Um, you know, until that happens, you know, you can't really say. But as of right now, no shot. I mean, their their team just simply isn't good enough, and that was reflected in the, in, the, in the table this season. Although they did, you know, start to show some positive signs once Aubameyang was integrated into the squad because he's obviously a uh, a very very good player and a very very good goal scorer. So I think um, they have positives right now, but um, you know the market is going to essentially define how well they do this season. We'll see what happens. And uh, I think the days of uh, Arsene Wenger, you know, twenty twenty year twenty year careers are are certainly are certainly behind us. Um, and with that, we'll move on to the big one. Obviously, the Champions League: uh, Real Madrid, Liverpool, Zidane versus Klopp, Ronaldo versus Salah, and. I'm excited for this one because every game involving Liverpool and Real Madrid is fun. Uh, that's, you know, they are chaotic. Uh, they like to attack. They don't particularly love to defend. Uh, they, you know, we, we talk about structure and organization and Mourinho and Simeone and, you know, all this stuff. And even Pep, I mean, it's like a very deliberate style. I mean, Klopp and Zidane couldn't be more different from any of those guys. I mean, you, you, it's, we, we had a funny podcast with, you know, Kian Sobani from Managing Madrid, and, you know, he was talking about how, you know, all of a sudden Marcelo's playing, you know, center forward, Casemiro's back at left back, or potentially Casemiro's up at striker as well. Um, you know, Sergio Ramos is covering at left back, Cruz is on the right wing. I mean, it's just all over the place with Real Madrid. And Liverpool are, you know, they're quite similar. They bomb forward. Uh, their midfield's very exposed. They press like crazy. Um, and I think it's going to be a thriller. I don't see how this is not going to be an exciting game just because of the way that the two teams like to play. I mean, Liverpool just love to hit teams on the counterattack. Real Madrid love to come at you from all angles. You know, it's what we talked about in one of our uh, long threads actually about Barcelona, but basically, you know, how Real Madrid have this huge, um, have this really impressive versatility in the sense that they can play tiki-taka, you know, they can put in crosses, um, they can play on the counterattack, they can play more of a, you know, like I said, like a tiki-taka possession-based style. So they can do lots of things. And then Liverpool as well. I mean, they can they they have some good creators. Firmino and Mane can be you know they'll, they'll come at you with TAA and Robertson down the flanks. And then obviously they can go over to the top to Mo Salah anytime they want. So I think this is going to be a very very open game, um, unless you know you're in Klopp, who his record in finals is not the best, Tomas. And maybe um, especially knowing that this is the big one, you know, in the Champions League final for a second time, knowing the team that he's playing against. 
maybe he'll reel it in a little bit and change his style a little bit and kind of you know play less of an expansive system because I was actually just looking at the um, at the highlights from his last final from the Dorman Bayern Munich game and that was actually a very very interesting tense final and he and he they played pl quite well honestly Dorman they played really really well oh they were unlucky um, they were I mean you know it was an even game and in the end Bayern just came through then at the end um, but he did honestly if, if you kind of noticed he he. It wasn't sort of the, the same ridiculously open system that he had kind of been employing throughout. He kind of you know reeled it in just a little bit, and so I wouldn't be surprised if we see that against against uh, Real Madrid because he knows, you know, if there's one thing that Real Madrid kind of do, it's you know they're like I said they're, they're the the system is quite. So I guess it's like fluid in a sense where players kind of drift all over the place, and you know when Marcelo is pushed forward as a left winger, you know he'll know that if they can kind of be compact enough. And get the ball to one of their midfielders quite quickly. All they need to do is one over the top ball into the space where Marcelo is essentially vacated, and you know you get Salah on the run, and you get Salah on the run against Ramos and Varane, and you know you have them backtracking, and then you can cause them problems. So I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if we see that. I wouldn't also. I would also not be surprised if Zidane sort of plays a similar style because he knows that they're going to want to play a deeper line so they can contain Salah, which is Liverpool's biggest threat. So I think there's a lot of question marks here because, for the you know, there's no. You know, I'm not going to say there's no defined style from either team because there quite clearly is, but Klopp and Zidane are both quite flexible tactically. You know, Klopp and Liverpool, they, you know, they'll have 80% possession at home to Burnley and they'll kind of be looking like almost like a Manchester City type team and then they'll go away to, you know, they'll go away to Manchester City and they'll have 25% possession, they'll play on the counterattack and they'll, you know, whatever, they might get the result, they might not. But, you know, it's it, there's a lot of um there's just a lot of variables here and what's going to happen, and that's why I'm excited to see this game because it's one that um, you know we'll, we'll try our best to give a prediction at the end. But I mean, it's it's one where you really don't really know how it's going to play out. You know, uh, before I'm, I'm going on a little bit here, but I'll get to you. But it's it's funny because before the Europa League final last year, Tomas, like it was Ajax Manchester United, and we came in here and we sat down and we had we knew exactly exactly how the game was going to go. We knew exactly Mourinho was going to sit deep, let Ajax have the ball, and try and hit them on the counter as best as he could. And, you know, as the game played out, 80% possession for Ajax, spot on. You know, Mourinho got his BS result, as he always tended to do. And But in this game, I really could not tell you, like, how the, really the pattern's going to be, except for the fact that I think it's going to be quite hectic um, and quite fun to watch. I completely agree with you, Mark, because, in my opinion, this is probably the most entertaining uh, Champions League final in, in quite a while. It's also the most unpredictable, like you said, because... Not even just talking about Europa League. Last year, talking about the Champions League final, the two of us sat down and we said exactly what was going to happen in that game. And it pretty much went like that, except for Allegri kind of surprising us with some questionable decisions. Um, the year before against Atletico, you know what was going to happen between a Real Madrid and Atletico in one of those games. So, so it's, been, it's been predictable in the last years, but this one is one of those that just sit back and think, wow, I, I literally have no idea how this game is going to go. Like You can assume that it's going to be very high scoring, but like you said, maybe... One of the teams will sit back, probably Liverpool, since they love a counter more than anything. And and it might be a little tighter uh, than, than people have imagined. So nobody really knows how it's going to go. For me, what's fascinating about this, and you kind of touched upon this, is that Marcelo versus Salah battle. And obviously, you know, a lot of people say Salah is a right winger. Yes, but at the same time, if you really watch him, he's almost a striker in the sense that he's always drifting in going behind the shoulder of that last defender. It doesn't stay just out, out wide. So it's not a direct battle of Marcelo versus Salah. The reason I say a battle between those two is the fact that 
you know Marcelo is going to bomb forward. Uh, there is not a single game that he doesn't do that. Be it the 7-1 for Brazil against Germany, be it against PSG, be it against anyone. And uh, there's a reason he does it. Because he's the greatest ever going forward. He's the greatest left back of all time in general, in, our, in both of our opinion. And he he's going to play his way. I don't think he's going to change the way he plays. So that leaves a very interesting dilemma for Dan because... How are you going to cope with that? Obviously, so you're going to have Ramos on that side. Um, is he going to be able to cover uh, enough for Marcelo? He always does. But against Salah and that pace, and let's not forget Mane's pace on the other side. Let's not forget Firmino, the way he likes to drift deep. And that in itself is going to create a conundrum. Because with Marcelo going so far forward, it's usually fine. And, and Ramos and Varane can handle it with their pace uh, and their position, how good they are. But in this game... They're going to be very, very worried about Salah. So what happens with that is when Firmino naturally drops deep and does what he likes to do, he's going to have a lot of space. That's why I think a key player in this game is going to be Casemiro. And Casemiro needs to be disciplined uh, like he sometimes is and like sometimes he's the complete opposite. But he needs to be disciplined in this game to really mark Firmino out of this game. Because I think Firmino is going to have so much space given to him by the center backs. We're so worried about either covering up the space left by Marcelo or dealing uh, with helping Carvajal with Mane that Firmino, obviously not going to be overlooked, but is naturally going to find himself in more space in between the lines. So who pick him up? I don't think Verano drift out of position to pick him up because then you leave Mane in a one-on-one versus Carvajal, and that's not a good idea. If uh, if Ramos does it, well, then your entire left side of the defense is completely open for Sir Dalla to score for fun so what are you going to do you need Casemiro is Casemiro going to be able to do it I think he can I think a lot of people who doubt Casemiro are very harsh on him uh and I think this is going to prove to a lot of people really shouldn't even have to prove anything because this man's been class for you know a couple of years now that that he can really do the job and I think I think he will do a very very nice job in marking Firmino and helping that out because if he doesn't then I think Real Madrid are in serious serious trouble um so before I pass it back to you Mark I have a question before I talk about this. I want to. I want to hear your thoughts in terms of Madrid going forward. A, are we going to see Bale or are we going to see Benzema? I think we're going to see Benzema. Uh, I don't know what you think. And B, how's Ronaldo going to do in this game? Do you think if Liverpool naturally drop deep, which I think they probably will, do you think this is a, this is the kind of game that maybe we might see Ronaldo kind of quiet and maybe just getting that one odd goal? Or do you think this is a game that really Ronaldo can think and look at the that Liverpool back line and say, well, Lovren has looked like Modini recently, but he's really not. And Van Dijk is, is a very good player, but, you know, he, I've, I've faced better, you could say. So do you think do you think this is the kind of game that we'll see CR7 take over? Do you think this might be a quieter game from him where we really might see other players kind of take the mantle and, and shine for Madrid, uh, especially if Liverpool drop deep? I mean, just given how, it's like I said, given how both teams play, I think it'll be quite open. Uh, there'll be lots of chances, and in a game where there are lots of chances, you will see lots of Ronaldo, because he's going to be getting on the, the end of those chances, because there's no one better at sort of understanding where the ball is going to fall in the box than Ronaldo, and I think that's, that, that that will be happening quite often, unless, as you said, you know, Klopp and Liverpool decided to sit a little bit deeper and not allow as many sort of spaces in the penalty box, but... It's like I said, it's a really, really, really difficult one to assess just because you don't know 
what both managers are going to do. You know, you can you know what the lineups are likely going to be. It's, like you said, it's, I, I believe um, Zidane is going to trust the lineup that won it last year. You know, going with Isco and going with Benzema. Um, but you know that can still mean a whole lot for them offensively. You know, like obviously when they try and play that team, they try and dominate the midfield a little bit more because I mean when you have Isco and Modric and Cruz, uh, you can basically dominate any midfielder in the world. Um, so I think that you know if he goes with that and they try and dominate the midfield a little bit more and maybe slow it down a little bit more, um, then Klopp then will probably you know say I don't think that. Uh, my, even though he's been unbelievable and set the Champions League assist record, I don't think that James Milner, uh, Jorginho Vinaldum, uh, Jordan Jordo Henderson uh, are really going to dominate a midfield that has Isco, Cruz, and Modric. So Klopp will, pro- Klopp will probably be like, okay, if the, you know this is the case and this is the lineup he goes with, we'll sit a little bit deeper, we'll try and be a little bit more compact, make the spaces more difficult for them to find, uh, and then hit them on the counter. And you know, because when they play that more methodical style. When Real Madrid uh, play that more methodical style, I mean, uh, that's when you see Marcelo and Carvajal push really, really, really far forward because, like, they need to get them into the attack because they have no natural wingers. So they have Ronaldo and Benzema in the box. They have the the four midfielders, Isco, Cruz, Modric, and Casemiro, all in relatively central areas. So they rely on Marcelo and Carvajal to provide the width and put crosses into the box. And I think that that sort of setup, you know, where they, it's almost like a 2-6-2 two, two in the end when they're attacking is probably what Klopp is looking at and saying, this is what I want to try and get from Real Madrid. This is what I want to try and have them do, because then you can leave Salah forward, and you can, as soon as you win the ball, if you just ping a long ball into that, you know, into that channel between Ramos and Marcelo, where Marcelo won't be, then you know you, you, know, you can always sort of alleviate the pressure by pinging one of those balls and then having Salah try and run 1v1 against Ramos or slip him in behind, something like that, you know, maybe a quick pass out to Firmino who then slips it in between Varane and, and Ramos, you know, for Salah clean through on goal. And that's actually kind of what we saw if you go all the way back to the 2015-2016 Champions League and watch that Roma-Real Madrid game. In the first leg uh, in Rome, Ramos handled this quite easily. And there's, you know, there was a video going around on Twitter the other day where it was basically, you know, Ramos versus Salah, you know, take one. And Ramos handled him quite well. He was reading his runs. He was quite physical with him. You know, he didn't really let him get goal side of him ever. But if you watch the second game at Real Madrid, Salah caused them fits. And he easily could have had four goals. Easily. I mean, he missed, he missed breakaways. He created a um, or I would say a four goal involvements. You know, he, he created a breakaway for Dzeko. Uh, he had a couple himself. He created a few other good chances. Um, and they almost, they really were struggling to know what to do with him. And, I, and I'd be curious to actually have like watched those full games over again um, to see what the difference was in the two setups, just because, you know, why was Salah able to get more space? Was it because of his positioning in the second leg? Was he doing something slightly differently? Um, and so it'll be interesting to, to, to see, you know, how that battle goes again and why, you know, like I said, it's a lot of people been talking about this Marcelo Salah battle, as you mentioned, but the really the important one is going to be Ramos versus Salah. And then on the other side, it's going to be Ronaldo versus the two center backs, Lovren and Van Dijk. Um, so that'll be interesting. And I think that that is what Klopp's going to go for. He wants Real Madrid to get into that 2-6-2 two, two sort of setup where Marcelo and Carvajal are really, really far forward, and then you can hit them on the counterattack because, you know, he knows that he won't be able to outplay them. Um, but essentially what he's going to want, he's going to want some chaos. He's going to want to cause some havoc on the counter, on the break, um, and get his sort of three horses on the run, let Firmino dictate and find some passes to Mane and Salah. And if that happens and they're able to do that successfully, 
then they can certainly win this game. And, you know, they've shown all season long that they can score goals for fun against anyone. Um, so it'll come, you know, it'll be, can you, it, it's again, we, we say this so frequently, but it really is so true. It's like, you know, how they, they say in basketball, it's a make or miss league. Um, you know, sometimes the shots are falling. Sometimes they're not. Sometimes Steph Curry is shooting 75% from three other games. He'll go one for 12. And it's like we've been saying all, all the time in these Real Madrid games. They've First they played PSG, then they played Bayern Munich, and then they had Bayern Munich. Um, and, you know, it's just, can you convert your chances when they come? Because the chances are going to come for both teams. Uh, and, you know, against PSG, they were far more clinical, and PSG weren't clinical at all. Uh, they ended up getting a fairly comprehensive win just because they were able to take their chances. Against Bayern Munich, honestly, both teams kind of, you know, both teams were relatively, you know, Real Madrid were taking their chances. It was kind of similar. They didn't have as many. And then Bayern Munich took a couple of them but weren't able to convert enough of them. And, you know, in a game that they quite probably should have won, I mean, based on expected goals, they almost had a three, um, they almost had a plus three margin in expected goals, which is, you know, surely you should be scoring more than what they did. Um, and so I think it's going to be quite similar. I think there's going to be lots and lots of chances. It's going to be who can be more clinical, Real, Real Madrid strikers or Liverpool strikers. And that's, you know, it seems simplistic to say, but, I mean, that's basically how this game is going to go. It's going to be open, lots of chances for both teams, interesting battles throughout. Um, and, yeah, so I think it'll just be that, – that's, 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 you know, I, I, I guess, like, if you want to talk about um, – sort of like the final little maybe caveat here, besides the fact that it might be an open game, um, is just depending on how, um, whether or not Liverpool are willing to push forward their fullbacks as well and try and get a slightly, some sort of possession. Or if, if they're going to try and push forward their fullbacks and support the front three, because that would be my concern, is that they might be a little bit isolated up there if they try and play too much on the counterattack. But we'll see how it goes out, how, how it plays out. Oh, yeah, before we jump into predictions, just my my last little segment here. I think that talking about how Liverpool are going to approach this game, obviously it's very clear that Madrid are going to dominate that midfield, regardless of whether Liverpool sit back or or go at them. You know, there's there's no debating who has the better midfield and by a significant margin as well. But I don't know about you, Mark. I think if Liverpool sit back, eh, it's the wrong decision here. I think that we've seen with Madrid. We've said this before. To beat Madrid, you got to go at Madrid, and doesn't always work out. You know, most of the time you're going to lose to Madrid regardless. But the teams who give Madrid the most trouble are the teams that go at them, because if you don't go at them and you sit back, eventually they're going to get chances. Be it from crossing, which they can do all day if they want. They have some of the best deliveries in the world. Be it slow build up if they want. Be it whichever way, they can hit you in so many different ways. Sitting back. It's just not the answer against Madrid. And I think when you're like Liverpool and you're so dangerous going forward, and defensively you're really not that great regardless, you might as well give it a go. And I think if they do, we're going to see a very interesting game. I think regardless, it's going to be an interesting game. But, you know, in terms of prediction, I don't know if I should let you go first, Mark, because I'm, I'm, I'm torn here. I know who's going to win, but don't know about the score here. If I had to pick, I'm going to say Madrid simply because – you cannot pick against Madrid in the Champions League until the day they lose. Um, and I'm going to say 4-2 Real Madrid in what I think will be a very open game. But when you said, I think you said it all, Mark, it's about who can convert their chances. It's between the Madrid attackers versus the Liverpool attackers. And as good as Salah has been this season, as good as Firmino has been, as good as Mane has been, 
if a chance falls to Ronaldo in the Champions League final, he's going to bury that. I don't know if I can say the same about other players. You just always got to have faith in, in Ronaldo in the final. So Real Madrid win. It's going to be a very, very tough game. I think it'll be much tougher than last year. But I think Madrid take it in a, in a 4-2 win. <sighs> I Before I make my prediction, I was actually just going to jump in and say that that was a good point about um, you know, should Liverpool take the game to them and really, really go for it? You know, and I was kind of saying, you know, that I think that sort of two-six-two type of four, type of attacking setup is what Klopp might want, just because he'll think that that might be his best approach, um, sort of like from a tactical perspective to get it. But it's something that we've talked about a lot. That honestly, the the really over the past three years, the best way to get out to get at Real Madrid has really been to just you know say we're just kind of going to go for it and kind of going to play. Um, you know, we're kind of, kind of going to kind of play with fire here and assume that they're going to kind of be a little bit disorganized. We'll give up chances, but we'll create chances, and we're just going to bet on the day that we score more than they do, or we happen to convert our chances and they don't. Um, so I think that, you know, that is an also a very, very valid approach if Klopp wants to do that as well, and is another reason why this game, you know, it's so hard to understand, like, how this is really going to play out. Um, but as for the prediction, again... So difficult to call because, again, you don't know how it's going to play out. But if I had to say, you can't go against Real Madrid. Uh, it pains me to say it because I think winning, seeing them win, th- although seeing them win three round with three Champions Leagues in a row um, would be pretty historic and it would be pretty cool to see, to be honest, something that hasn't been done in quite some time. Um, so, I mean, it would be cool to see. But I think that Real Madrid, <sighs> I was almost going to change my mind there. But I think Real Madrid are going to win. <laughs> I, think, I think at the end of the day, you know, they've, you know, they just simply have so many winners on that team. Um, and, you know, I'm not really even going to call it experience because I don't think that really necessarily plays a role. I think it's more of just they have that mentality that, you know, we are going to win. They are going to have no fear the whatsoever. They are going to have no fear whatsoever when they step foot on that field. It's going to feel like second nature to them. Um, they're just going to be raring to go, ready to go. They, they've done it before. Um, they're just going to come out here with like that arrogance that, you know, we're just going to get this done. It uh, doesn't matter how. And I think, you know, I think it'll be fairly high scoring, you know, similar kind of what you said, like a 4-2, something like that. So I'll go like maybe a 3-1 Real Madrid victory. I think... You know, I I wouldn't be surprised to see it. Uh, you know, kind of be like a. It, it's an interesting game for a little bit, and then Real Madrid kind of put it away at the end, kind of like how Juventus equalized last year. So I, you know, I could see a, a Ronaldo goal, a Salah equalizer, and then you know, a Casemiro deflected thirty-five yard strike <laughs> into, the, into the top corner, and then a Sergio Ramos bullet header in the eighty-third to seal the win for Real Madrid. So. We'll see, but you know it has it has sort of it has sort of been you know uh, Real Madrid win the Champions League rinse repeat over the past uh, you know three years now. So how can you put it past them doing it once again? Although I hope Liverpool put up a good fight, and it would be a very 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 cool and just great story if Mohamed Salah can score the game winner um, and lead Liverpool to the title because uh, you know. I don't think anyone expected this, this man to have that type of season, and for him to sort of cap it off with that would be one of the honestly one of the best stories um, in football, and you know that there's been, and certainly in like the Champions League era. I mean, in terms of like the narrative, so I'm hoping to see that. Um, but you know, I have to put my sort of what I would like to see aside and go with my go with my uh, my head here, and, and that's unfortunately for the past three years been Real Madrid. So. I'll go with I'll go with Los Blancos as well to make it the famous three and three and four and five, which is just <laughs> absolutely 
insane. And it's going to be who who can stop? Who can honestly stop these guys? And it seems like no one. Father, father of time. It seems like father of time when Ronaldo <laughs> gets old and Modric gets old. Like, yeah, literally yeah, yeah, luckily, luckily, for, luckily they're all over 30 for everyone else in Europe. But at this point, there's not a whole lot else to be to be happy about if you're trying to take down Real Madrid. So just just wait until Neymar moves there next summer. Yeah, yeah, he'll 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 he <laughs> you know it's all right. He'll disrupt the team. He'll be he'll be too he'll be too selfish. He'll disrupt them like he did at Barcelona, right? <laughs> well, and before we wrap up, real quick, Mark, I think this leads to our next podcast, assuming Madrid win, which I think is a very interesting debate. Many people have had it. We posed it at the beginning of the season. If Madrid win this Champions League, are they better than Pep's Barca? Don't answer right now. I know we have different opinions on this, but I think three out of four, or sorry, like it's four out of five, three in a row. You know, it's it's it's, it's a hard one to say no to. Yeah, and it's like, and it's, I, I don't think it's a you know people will kind of go crazy for just posing the question, but I think you can base, you know, not, not based on sort of like style, like Pep's Barca was more about like, you know, the kind of the aura of what they did and what they played and stuff, but, you know, just based on success alone, I mean, this Real Madrid team is uh, putting together one of the most successful sort of runs in European history, so, I mean, it's something that you have to, you know, take it in and really absorb the players that they have, and, you know, Xavi and Iniesta and, you know, Modric and Cruz are sort of making a name for themselves in that sort of similar of a light as well, and uh, they've been doing it for quite some time, and our boy Sergio Ramos is captaining the the, the lads to four Champions League titles. I mean, this at, at a certain point, we got to be talking about another question for everyone to really freak out about. Ray, we're, we're we're really teasing everyone here. Is that you know greatest defender of all time, Sergio Ramos? Or I shouldn't say defender. I should say center back because everyone likes to say he can't defend. So center back. There's more to it. Anyway, right. anyway, we're getting ahead of ourselves, but uh, we'll see what happens in the Champions League. Uh, I'm hoping for a really good game. And we'll uh, we'll be here to talk about that, and we'll be here to talk about uh, the result of that, and we'll be here to talk about the uh, World Cup, which is looming on the horizon uh, in a couple weeks' time, which we're all quite excited about. So uh, that's all for this time. It was a lengthy podcast. Hope you enjoyed it. Uh, let us know what you think will happen in this match. And check us out next time. Me stuck, I'm sick of playing it by the books. I think we should get a room. Yourself and your shoes ain't off the shelves. You straight out of magazine. Feel things I ain't ever felt.